Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. For today's show, we wanted to know more about unregulated chemicals in Southern Arizona's drinking water. We speak with the heads of two large water systems, a researcher looking at better ways to treat the water, and one of the major sources of the contaminants, the U.S. military. Like many other municipalities across the country, Tucson and Marana Water have found a certain class of chemical contaminants in their drinking water supply. The man-made chemicals in question come from many sources, including nonstick pans, carpets, and firefighting foam used by the U.S. Air Force. These perfluorinated compounds, called PFAS, are not regulated by the EPA, but long-term exposure has been linked to health problems, including cancer. Tim Tomier and John Kamik are the heads of Tucson and Marana's water departments. We asked when they became aware of PFAS contamination in their water systems. At Tucson Water, we've been actively searching for perfluorinated compounds in our various water sources as early as 2009. And uh, at that time, there was a health advisory for two of those uh, perfluorinated compounds uh, that was much higher than it is in current times. Um, but we were really actively seeking uh, these types of compounds because we suspected they may have been in our groundwater, in our water sources, and we were doing that sampling as really a voluntary screening tool. Now, at Marana Water, it's a little different. I knew that Tucson Water had this program where they were doing looking for these compounds uh, during those years, and they had discovered uh, some of these perfluorinated compounds at low levels. Like Tim said, uh, the health advisors at the time were much more higher. But it was uh, after 2016 uh, when they changed the health advisories to 70 part per trillion for PFOA and PFOS um, that I knew that uh, this may be an issue. And, and sure enough, our colleagues at Tucson Water called us after their last sampling round and said that they discovered some of these compounds in the Marana area. So at that time, um, us at Marana, we decided to do our own samples on our own wells, and we were able to confirm we were seeing um, compounds in that area around the 70 part per trillion. Uh, levels. You both mentioned sampling. When did you start treating or are you treating for these compounds? Tucson Water is treating at one location for these compounds, uh, but the primary strategy in Tucson Water is that we turn off wells when we first detect these compounds. So we have about 200 different wells that serve the service area. We have a lot of redundancy in our system. So in the locations where we first started detecting them, we were able to turn off those wells and, and um, supply from other locations. The one area where we do have the perfluorinated compounds and we still operate the wells is at our Tucson Airport Remediation Project. So this is a pre-existing treatment facility that was already in place to treat for other compounds, uh, TCE and 1,4-dioxane. And as part of that treatment process, it was never designed to treat for perfluorinated compounds, but one of the treatment components that was serving a different purpose actually is an effective removal for, for the PFCs. And so we um, are treating it. And our challenges are, are different than Tucson Waters. Marana Water only has about 8,000 customers over seven different water systems, where Tucson's a large, massive integrated water system uh, where we discovered in two of our water systems where we had perfluorinated compounds 
above the 70 part per trillion, uh, we didn't have the option to turn off our wells like they did at the city of Tucson. So Marana now is moving forward with a design of a treatment process. Uh, we're in that design plan right now, and we're hoping to have uh, treatment works built by next summer, summer of 2020. And it'll be using the same technology that actually t Tucson Water is using at their TARP remediation. It's going to be granular activated carbon uh, for the absorption of the perfluorinated compounds. Tim, these compounds that you, when you found them in wells, they were near Davis Monthan, they were near Tucson International. That's not surprising necessarily because these compounds are used or were used in firefighting for, for aircrafts. But John, I have to come to you on this. You don't have Tucson International. You don't have Davis Monthan in Marana. Do you know what's putting the compounds in Marana water? Actually, we we don't know. It's it's undefined right now. But the way the aquifer works in the Tucson Basin is essentially everything ends up in the Santa Cruz River. Now, whether that's stormwater from around the city of Tucson proper or the two waste major regional wastewater treatment plants that are just upgrading um, from the town of Marana, whether the, the Agua Nueva plant on Prince Road and the uh, Trace Rio plant on Ina Road, both of those contribute to the Santa Cruz River. So we think it's a combination of stormwater and possibly the wastewater stream entering the Santa Cruz, and then the Santa Cruz recharges the aquifer in the Marana area. So we might not have the source, but because we're downstream of a large metropolitan area, we believe it, that's where it's coming from. And it's important to note that perfluorinated compounds are ubiquitous. We often really focus on the firefighting activity or the aircraft activity because that's certainly a large potential source. Uh, but perfluorinated compounds are in everyday society or were for decades. So in nonstick pans, in carpeting in this room, yeah, right, Scotch guard. So th those materials are throughout society. Last year, Tucson Water. Um, accidentally sent some water with perfluorinated compounds up into the north and west sides. People will remember that, but can you refresh our memories on exactly what happened and how Tucson Water dealt with that? I will address that, and it was not accidental, nor was it contaminated water. So people will clearly remember a headline that was extremely deceiving and incorrect. The actual facts are that the Tucson Airport Remediation Project facility that I mentioned earlier has been in operation since the 1990s. So we have known about contamination in the groundwater, including now more recently perfluorinated compounds. We have treated for the compounds that are present in that contamination plume for decades, and we have delivered that treated water, which is safe to drink and use for all purposes, to that kind of northern part of, of urban Tucson. That is what was happening last summer as well. What got conflated in the story and incorrectly reported was while that was occurring, we also had a one particular sample point, one of many of our sample points that was installed incorrectly. So that one particular sample point was not monitoring the water source that we thought it was. But it's important to note that A, that was not the only sample point we relied on and B, all of the data that we reviewed shows that at no time did Tucson Water serve perfluorinated compounds to our customers. That was above the health advisory. When you talk about the health advisory, the EPA has sent out an advisory, but it's not regulated yet. What is the health advisory? What are those levels so people understand what the three of us are talking about? 
not all perfluorinated compounds have a health advisor, but there are two that do the PFOA and PFOS. And those are the two most studied. Those are the two um, that are uh, most attention is applied to. The combined total under the health advisory as it stands today for those two compounds is 70 parts per trillion. So it's a health advisory, which means it's non-binding, it's non-regulatory, it's, it is uh, what we would call guidance. However, even though it's not regulatory, Tucson Water does adhere to health advisories as if they were. In the case of perfluorinated compounds, we have set an internal operational target that's lower than the health advisory itself. So even though the health advisory is 70 parts per trillion, our operational target is 18 parts per trillion or less. And John, it sounds like Marana Water is doing the same, using the guidance. Yeah, correct. Uh, we're looking at that 70 part per trillion, to the, the current EPA health advisory, and that's what that's what's triggering us to move forward with doing the, the two treatment plants in the two affected areas because we're seeing those levels anywhere between 80 to 110 part per trillion on average. And then, you know, the, what Marana is going to be deploying as far as treatment works is going to look very similar with the what Tucson Water has at the TARP remediation facility. We're going to be having advanced oxidation as well as a granular activated carbon. And what that does is we're basically going to, we're throwing a, a net over a wide suite of uh, potential compounds that are out there unregulated. Like, like Tim said, we meet all safe drinking water standards right now. It's the unknowns that we're, that we're looking at. So if we're going to deploy treatment, we're going to, we're going to treat the, the highest quality and provide our customers the best water we can for what we do know. And that's, we know how to treat. We're talking with Tim Tomier, the director of Tucson Water, and John Kamik, the director of Marana Water. Tim, Tucson Water has gone after the Air Force um, or the city of Tucson has to recoup some of those costs uh, for treating for the compounds. Marana Water, are you all going after anybody for these? I know the town of Marana and the city of Tucson have combined on a, on a lawsuit regarding perfluorinated compounds in the environment, looking at the manufacturers of these compounds that may have known for decades that they persist in the environment. Um, so that is moving forward, and that's uh, actually getting coupled with dozens and dozens of other communities around the country right now. In the case of the city, in addition to that joint lawsuit that John referenced, the actions we've taken with the Air Force were actually for prior contamination of different compounds. So uh, the most recent settlement that we got from the Air Force was for the treatment of 1,4-dioxane. Uh, you know, customers really don't care how it got there or who's responsible. They just don't want it in their water. And so that's our job is to is to first of all, protect public health. And then in our case, we do that first and then we seek uh, reimbursement, however, in whatever form we can. If the lawsuits by the two cities or the city and the town do not recoup the costs for treatment, who ends up paying for it? Do, do our bills go up? We're going to build these treatment plants. We've secured a loan from the Arizona Water Infrastructure Financing Authority. So we're, we have the funding to do that now. Uh, while those, uh, while we start making those debt service payments, the town will be responsible for, for meeting that. And that eventually could end up in the rates uh, or some other mechanism. The town is actually um, reviewing different mechanisms to try to get that funding in place to make sure that, uh, that it's all there um, until uh, hopefully a settlement occurs. In the case of Tucson Water, uh, there's two different answers to that question. One is depending on where we're being impacted. So 
Uh, for us, we're counting on the lawsuit uh, to reimburse us for the days 19 wells that we've had to turn off and we can no longer utilize. So we would be utilizing those funds to replace that well capacity. The other answer to that is in that tarp area where we're already doing the treatment, we did benefit from the fact that we'd already invested in a treatment plant. So the, the marginal cost to do the additional treatment is uh, not millions of dollars for us yet. We've been able to just absorb it and, and take care of the problem. We do need to do a treatment expansion in order to do that long-term, and that will not drive a rate change for Tucson Water. In the wells where you have found the highest level of contaminants, is there enough of a, a confining layer uh, within the aquifer that, that keeps the contaminants there, or does the plume keep spreading? No, it's not contained in most cases. Groundwater flow is continuing, and in the case of Davis-Monthan Air Force Base, uh, that's the highest concentrations we're seeing. So we're doing continuous monitoring on those wells. At the TARP facility, again, we already have containment because we've been operating that facility in that well field for a number of years. And then on the northwest side, again, as John mentioned, all water in Tucson flows to the northwest side of Tucson right into Marana. And that's coming from across the entire basin in some form or fashion. We don't, as John said, know exactly the precise source of that. So that's another area where it's not contained yet until some additional actions are taken. Right. And, and you know, the trend is the closer your well is to the Santa Cruz River on the northwest side is the more likely you're going to see the perfluorinated compounds at concentrations around that health advisory. All right. Gentlemen, thank you both for sitting down with us. Thank you. Thank you. That was Tim Tomier, Tucson Waters Director, and John Kamik, the Director of Marana Water. This week we're talking about unregulated chemicals in our drinking water, specifically a class called PFAS, known to cause negative health impacts. Reyes Sierra, a chemical and environmental engineering professor at the University of Arizona, received a grant from the Department of Defense to study ways to clean up the chemicals. Sierra began our discussion explaining one of the main sources of the compounds. Department of Defense has used these uh, types of chemicals extensively. They are present at very high concentrations in firefighting extinguishing foams, but also in firefighting training exercises. And many of these chemicals have trickled into the ground and contaminated our groundwater. So yes, they are in the water, they have to be removed, and that is the challenge. Um, the challenge is that the EPA uh, recommends that the chemicals are removed to very, very low concentrations, and that the methods that are available to us today to remove them from groundwater are not very effective and they are very, very expensive. Uh, and that is why uh, the Department of Defense and also other agencies in the country, including uh, organizations here in Tucson, uh, are investing money to um, support research that would develop methods that are cheaper and more effective at removing PFAS and cleaning our drinking water. You said the, the chemicals are difficult to get out of the water. Mm -hmm. If you can, for our audience, who are not mm -hmm. all scientists and engineers mm -hmm. as you are, can you explain some of the, the science uh, behind the process of what you're hoping to try and develop uh, in, in simple terms? So PFAS are chemicals that are very, very stable. We would like to destroy them, but that is very difficult. So the current thinking, I think, focuses mainly on um, using uh, sorbents uh, to remove 
PFAS from water. So what are sorbents? So sorbents are, you know, chemical materials uh, that because of their unique properties will remove PFAS. The PFAS will stick to the surface of the sorbents, leaving behind the clean water. Uh, what is unique about our approach is that we are developing very specific uh, uh, sorbents that are able to retain the PFAS using two different strategies. Uh, conventional processes with materials like activated carbon or ion exchange resins, that is what it is being used today, um, are uh, probably uh, uh, less effective because they rely on a single mode of action, a single strategy to retain this uh, PFAS. Do we worry as you're using these different agents to, to clean the water, now you have this agent that is full of the chemical, do we then have a problem of disposal of that? These materials are extremely inert. So yes, it is true that uh, the process uh, will hopefully be very effective at removing the uh, PFAS from water, but then they will still be present in the sorbents. Uh, they will be present in a concentrated form that will be much more manageable. But uh, yes, I mean, the sorbents uh, probably will have to end up in hazardous waste landfill or perhaps, you know, we may be able to strip them out of the sorbent in a highly concentrated uh, brine. And uh, yeah, hopefully a method uh, will be developed very soon that is going to be able to deal with this concentrated solution. It is much easier in general to treat small volumes with high concentrations of chemicals that very, very large volumes, like the volumes that we have in groundwater with extremely low concentrations of the PFAS. How will you know if your project is successful? So, you know, the, the project uh, has a, a very detailed uh, work plan uh, with uh, different points at which we will be uh, evaluating our success as scientists and the success of the sorbents for removing PFAS. So we are including... Um, the conventional materials as a benchmark and at you know each point of the research we are comparing the effectiveness of our uh, sorbents under different conditions with those of the materials that you can get now uh, commercially uh, that is one of the things that we are doing we are starting with a very simple matrix you know just water uh, very clean water with a little bit of pfas and a little bit of salts we know that the reality is also more complex many times, whether with PFAS, you may have organic matter and other contaminants that may be also competing, you know, for these adsorption sites on the sorbent. So, so yeah, we will check our performance in very well-defined conditions and then move to much more complex solutions that resemble more what is present in the field. In the final phase, we actually will be getting contaminated groundwater from different uh, DOD installations, and we will see how our materials work in the real world. When it comes to this research, mm -hmm. are you and your team the only ones for the Department of Defense doing this, or do they have others who are looking at this? No, definitely we are not the only ones. I mean, uh, the problem of PFAS is attracting a lot of attention. It's sufficient to go to the 
web and type PFAS and then you will, you will find many, many articles, some of them kind of alarming. The Department of, of Defense has many sites that are contaminated with PFAS and they want to help find a solution for that problem. There are probably, you know, between uh, 10 to 20 additional projects, large projects like ours, uh, with teams from all over the country that are working on this issue. And it's not just the Department of Defense here. I was reviewing proposals for the Department of Defense in Australia just a couple of weeks ago uh, because they have a very similar problem that, that we do have here in, in our country. All right. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with us. Okay. Thank you. That was UA chemical and environmental engineering professor Reyes Sierra, whose research into PFAS remediation is funded by the Department of Defense. Next, we spoke with Maureen Sullivan. She's the Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Environment. She told us how the Pentagon is responding to these contamination issues at bases across the country and around the world. This issue is very important to the Department of Defense. We, we take it seriously. Our priority is to make sure that we are acting safely and we are focusing on ensuring that drinking water is uh, properly protected and that we're being transparent in the process and being strong partners with our state and uh, federal uh, regulators. Last year, the DOD issued a report looking at 126 U.S. military installations around the world. Many of them had the PFAs and, and the chemicals in questions. Where's the military on cleanup right now? The first thing we did is we went out for all of our military installations worldwide where we are providing the drinking water, where, where the military is actually doing it treating it and distributing it. We tested it to make sure that it was below EPA's lifetime health advisory. Now it's a matter of moving into our cleanup program the, under the Comprehensive Environmental Response Compensation and Liability Act, CERCLA Superfund. So we've identified 401 installations in the United States that have known or suspected releases of PFAS and PFOA. And we are in the process of investigating those sites. Part of that, the initial part of that, was to see if, in fact, we've had releases to the groundwater and the groundwater has flowed off base and impacted somebody's drinking water off base. Um, in those cases, we've taken an initial step to work with those communities and homeowners to um, provide alternative drinking water or treatment systems. So as far as we know, no one is drinking water um, above EPA's lifetime health advisory where DOD is the known source. The PFOFs are found in many different items. Often people point to firefighting foam that is used, for example, on an Air Force base like Davis-Monthan here in Tucson. What is the military doing to, to reduce the number of those chemicals found on the various bases? That's a complex question. So let me start first with the foam. 
So in January of 2016, we actually issued policy that um, instructed all of the military departments to limit the use of the foam. And in fact, for the foam that's in our supply warehouses, the old foam that had PFOS in it, to take it out of the warehouses and dispose of it. So right now, no one is using the foam that contains PFOS or PFOA for testing, training, or maintenance. The only time we're actually using the foam is when we have an actual fire that we have to put out. And in that case, we treat it as if it's a hazardous material release and uh, spill and capture it so it doesn't get into the groundwater. So we have stopped the the use of it in order to prevent further releases into groundwater. And then on top of that, we're investing heavily in research and development to see if we can find a foam that meets our stringent safety standards that doesn't contain one of these fluorine compounds. You bring up research. We talked to a researcher here on the campus of the University of Arizona who has some DOD funding to look at ways to remove these compounds from water. Some people might be surprised that DOD funds that type of research, but it seems like it's a normal part of business. Yes, it is. Um, We have uh, two programs that I'd highlight. Um, One is our Strategic Environmental Research and Development Program, which does basic research on a range of environmental issues. And there is a whole portion of that that's focused on addressing better ways to identify these types of chemicals that we need to clean up, how to track them, as well as treatment methods. Um, and then we have the Environmental Security Technology Certification Program, which then takes those laboratory, that basic research and just demonstrates it at a full scale. So related to PFAS, PFOA, and PFAS, we've invested about $70 million in research on looking how do we track where these chemicals move through the water, through the soil, and what are the appropriate treatment methods. Some military families I know have expressed concerns, especially about these uh, specific compounds being in their drinking water. How do you assure them that their drinking water is safe? Again, we've tested all the drinking water that we purvey on our installations. All of that information is posted on the base's websites and distributed. In addition, as uh, as required by anybody who is a purveyor of drinking water, they all of our bases have to sample on a regular basis and publish what are called consumer confidence reports for all the homeowners so that they have transparency of how often the water is tested, what is found in the water, where it is against um, enforceable standards for the chemicals that are in the water. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. That was Maureen Sullivan, Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Environment. And that's the buzz for this week. Find all our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Ariana Brocious produced and edited the show. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer, and Andrea Kelly is the news director. Our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening.
Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.